Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Good evening, everybody. How are you? Welcome back to Loveline. Hope you guys are. I feel like I say this every night. Hope you're getting through the week. Really kind of, I, I tell on myself when I speak that way, right? I think I, uh, I'm kind of, you know, understanding how difficult things are these days. And for a lot of people, it's kind of just about getting through, you know? So I guess it's me just offering up care and support and recognizing that things aren't easy for, for a lot of us these days. Um, it's kind of interesting. It comes up in my office clinically when we're talking about different diagnoses or struggles in individuals or clients. Again, as, you know, a general psychologist, but also specializing in couples and sex therapy, I you know, really get to dive deep into what's going on in people's lives. And often, unfortunately, some of the harder things I have to deliver as a therapist is, hey, unfortunately, that's something that we're not going to necessarily be able to completely eliminate. It might be something that we're always learning how to manage, right? And so I want to normalize that some things in life are about management, you know, shaving down some of the rough edges, making it um, a little easier, finding ways to maybe be resilient or thrive within the context of something difficult, especially if it's an element of life that is going to be sustained in some form. And also comes up in the relational stuff where, you know, this is a very uh, a, a sloppy, I don't know, assessment or structure to utilize. So know that it's, it's not completely accurate, but the way we kind of educate uh, new therapists around Couples issues is we often say the one third, one third, one third rule. And that's that a third of the issues that couples come into the office to work on are completely resolvable. Like, yes, we will eliminate that. That will be out of your lives and you will high five and move on and have just a phenomenal life psychologically and as a couple. A third of things are only improvable, right? So again, a third are completely resolvable and fixable, but then a third are only improvable and we'll say, okay, we can work on making that better, you know? And then a third are things that will never go away. They're not necessarily fixable or improvable, and you will always be managing that. And depends on what we're talking about, but in the context of, let's say, you know, affection, romance, sexuality, eroticism, um, you know, two, two people coming together with distinct histories and traumas and dreams and goals and desires and struggles and context, not, not everything is going to be able to be a smooth sailing topic. There are going to be some things that will always be a little bit of a ball that's kept in the air that we're oscillating in and out of. So what 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 is all that to say? Well, to normalize that, that if you're constantly there again, where you're like, I can't believe we're fighting about this again, you might want to dilute it or water down the stress or frustration of, oh my God, we're talking about this again by reminding yourself, I need to get a little comfortable and familiar with this topic. This is gonna be something we're always gonna be working on or working through. And if I can have a softness and an ease around it, I don't have to complicate it. It doesn't mean you're happy it's there, but you've gone into acceptance that to be with this person or to be in this friendship or to be at this job or whatever it might be, that this is gonna be something I'm constantly encountering. And although it's not ideal or what I want, is there a way that I can encounter it that doesn't inherently make it overwhelming. You know, like, ah, oh, okay, here we are again. I, I'm familiar with this topic or this issue, and I'm very thoughtful about how we approach it, and you kind of step into it. That's gonna be the case, sometimes with a parent and, and a child. Um, parents and children are not always a fair match 
temperament wise, right? I work with a lot of parents whose ch children unfortunately have a temperament that based on that parent's own psychological issues or traumas is very difficult for them. And it's about managing that. And that's the same thing with some friendships. There's some people that are really important to us and we will keep them in our lives. However, there'll be some things that are not resolvable and we're often gonna be bumping into them. And we have to learn a little bit of grace with how we bump into it, right? So again, to normalize, but also to say, it doesn't necessarily have to mean it's a deal breaker. It's okay to have some things that are always gonna be a problem. And hopefully with time and work and maturity, it doesn't have to be as chaotic or overwhelming, right? And then the, the third that we can completely improve, we, we work very hard to improve. And the third that we can eliminate, we work to eliminate. We don't always get to choose what falls into which box, right? To be in relationship with anyone in any way, shape or form, is to take on a third of you know the resolvable, a third of what's improvable, and a third of like, oh, that's what that's gonna be like. And this relationship has to be meaningful enough for me to wanna kind of do that work and stick in there. So it's acceptance. Some people are unwilling to accept certain things. Well, you know, God bless. But others are saying, okay, it means enough to me. People are complex, right? Um, and in our next segment, we're gonna talk a little bit about some things that couples do every day or very frequently to kind of keep things smooth and easy because that's what the work is really about. But again, ask yourself that. Are there elements in my life that I need to work on accepting because they're constantly popping up over and over and it's not something that's inherently resolvable and I need to soften around it. And that's not, again, to give it permission or just say it's okay. It's We're doing that for our own mental health. We soften around things. Trust me, there are things in my life that are not ideal. And I, I'm not going to co-sign it, but I'm going to say, well, that's there. You know, right now, I, I've shared this openly. I'm in a long-distance relationship with someone who lives in another country who thankfully will be moving here in September. Um, so it's going to reorient my entire life, right? I'm going to be stepping into some gifts, but also some new challenges. But I did not ever say, hey, I want to date someone in another country and have that happen through COVID when we can't travel. But I was willing to say this person means enough to me, so I'm going to do what I have to do to navigate that with as much grace and, and, and ease as possible with it not being ideal. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some things that couples do. It's going to be you know built on what we just talked about. And then, of course, later we'll be gliding into those DMs. So uh, stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect co worker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Alrighty, we're back and, uh, you know, just dropped, hopefully, something that was not a bomb on y'all, that not everything is resolvable. It's a really hard thing, as I said, to have to tell clients. They'll come in, doc, I have an issue and we need to fix it. And how long is it going to take? And sometimes I have to say, I don't know because we never do know. People come in with a presenting issue that might not, that might actually not even be the issue, right? But that's what they think it is. That's what gets them in there. And as you dig around, investigate, uncover, and go in, you sometimes find out it's far deeper, far bigger, or far more problematic than you realize. And sometimes you have to say, I think this is gonna be a management thing. I don't think this is something we're gonna resolve. You know, Put on your seatbelt, put on your helmet, put on your shoulder and knee pads as well sometimes, you know what I mean? But there's growth in that. You know, that's part of what I want to always remind people. There, <clears throat> and again, I'm a therapist, so I'm all about that growth angle, and so are, 
doctors and personal trainers and other people in other fields, education, we're all about growing and pushing and expanding. And I don't mean toxic self-improvement culture, because again, mental health does mean contentment and accepting and not always pushing and challenging and working. We need to work less, truly. We need to work less, focus more on joy, pleasure, and rest. But relationally and psychologically speaking, I want people to be up for the challenge when they emerge in within important you know relationships in their lives where they say, okay, there's value to this because that's that's part of like the Eastern and 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 very Buddhist, uh, uh, um, you know, it comes for most people out of study Buddhism, but Eastern philosophical concepts of the difference between pain and suffering, right? That pain is inevitable. <laughs> Things will happen, you know, natural disasters, um, injury, illness, death, you know, but suffering is that secondary layer we apply when we say, and it shouldn't be. So I'm not only going to have pain because of what happened, but I'm going to suffer around this ongoing idea that it should be otherwise and that shouldn't be happening. And, and we're trying to remove the suffering piece by saying, yes, that happened. That is unfortunate, but we don't need to suffer around it. We need to go into acceptance, which isn't saying I'm okay with what happened, but it's saying, how can I work with this? I gave you guys an example that was profound for me when I talked about weather, where you go outside of the house and it's freezing and snowing and you're like, oh my God, are you kidding? This is not ideal. This is not what I wanted. But you say, you know what though? I'm going to go in acceptance, which means how can I best get through this horrible weather, snowy day? Let me go in and get a jacket, you know? And you say, I don't want this, but I'm going to find a way to still accept and move forward and move on. Um, okay, so bringing that back around, swiping back around, let's talk about some things that uh, couples do frequently every day, maybe every week as a way to stay close and bonded. Now, again, this applies to all relationships, and that's why I'm always trying to mind everyone. I use the entry point of sex or relationships or whatever it is, but we can apply these things to a multitude of different relationships in our lives. Um, so what are some of the things that they do? Well, first off... Um, it's the small things and they're, they're comfortable and they see value in the small things. <clears throat> I, I'm not, uh, I don't want to attack anyone. So don't personalize this if this is you, but I'll sometimes be on my, on that good old IG doing the uh, good old swipe, swipe. And I'll see people posting pictures. Um, There's this one video actually, let's just go right into it. And I don't remember who, what, where, when, or how this happened about a month ago and it stuck with me. And it was uh, uh, what I believe was a cis hetero female. Uh, actually, I'm pretty confident it was based on what she was saying and how she curated her page. Because, you know, me being, you know, a psychologist, I was like, I need to find out more about this person to understand where they're coming from. And this is someone who's very much rooted in traditional dating styles and expectations, which, sorry to tell you, is rooted in patriarchy. It's very sexist. It's very misogynist. But some people want to participate in the beneficial aspects, not realizing that if you date someone with traditional thinking around dating, you're dating someone with traditional thinking around dating. And that's going to have some positives, but also some dark sides. The same person that wants to open your door and pay for dinner is wanting to assert control and male dominance and also is going to probably maybe want to tell you what to wear, where to sit and who your friends can be, right? So there's like two sides to that coin. So we have to be very thoughtful about wanting to sustain some problematic systems and ideas, but then go, we can't really complain about the darker sides. You know what I mean? Yes, we expect better, but be aware of that mindset. Like whatever mindset and, you know, cognitive idea someone's living from, you have to ask yourself, how might this apply in other dynamics, Someone who's very controlling as to taking you out, choosing where you go, ordering for you, paying for everything. What will that control look like in other spaces, right? Point being, this person was saying, well, on a first date, I think I mentioned this on the show, actually. On a first date, if the guy doesn't come dressed up and take me somewhere nice, I want nothing to do with him. And I thought, wow, you're saying a lot. You're a materialist. Um, you're, you're rooted very much in ego. You're personalizing this person's choices. You're not honoring them authentically, trying to let you know who they are. You're overvaluing. And you're not, as my point was, thinking small. What does that mean? It means we have to, within relationships, be open to the micro moments of profound expressions of care and love and interest because life can't always be big over the top expressions. We can't always be receiving gifts and being taken out. Sometimes it's the small moments. And why is that important? Well, because I tell couples, if you wanna stay close and connected and you always wanna feel erotic and you wanna feel uh, romance, you have to build it in every single day. And if we're always demanding and expecting these really grand gestures, that's not, that's not sustainable. But it's the small things. So if someone says to me, well, dear God, how do I every single day flirt or romance my partner? That sounds time-consuming, expensive, exhausting. I say to them, it's the small things that matter. 
because it's also the small things that erode at safety, trust, and comfort. It's the small things that heal that. And it's the small things we should be zeroing in on. Yes, by all means, if on Friday nights you want to put on your fancy schmancies and go out to a very overpriced dinner, enjoy. I'm not, I'm not shaming or shading that. What I'm saying is the daily acts of micro forms of care are what's meaningful. Smiling, holding their hand when you're driving, leaving them a little note, letting them know you're thinking about them, sending them a photo of something you encounter out in the world that reminds you of them, sending them a song that you often hear while you're with them that you both enjoy listening to. You know what I mean? Coming up behind with someone who you're in a relationship with that trusts you and giving them a kiss. Those are the beautiful micro moments and those small things matter more because they're, they're honest. The larger things often are very depersonalized and very performative. Uh, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to keep talking about what are these small, little important things that we can do within relationships that keep us close, right? And it's a way to also push back on some of these larger problematic expectations, and we're, we're learning how to kind of just accept what is. So stick around. Um, when we come back, we'll be doing that, and then uh, after that, we'll be gliding into those DMs listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on the new Odyssey. Alrighty, we're back and we're talking about things that couples do every week, every day that makes people feel close and connected. So in the research, there's this interesting concept. Um, they call it the magic six hours. It's about finding, as they say, optimal togetherness. It sounds so dramatic and over the top. Uh, here's a quote. If you thought of your wakeful hours in a week as a dollar, you only need a nickel's worth of that time to have effective relationships. Again, we're talking about the small micro moments. How in the course of a huge week, we're just talking about these little little deposits in the bank account of love. You don't need to be putting, you know, fitties and hundreds in there. We're just talking about little little nickel deposits. You know what I mean? And we all have access to that. And here's the bigger point. If you don't or you won't, we got a far bigger problem. You know what I mean? If I'm working with a couple or even an individual and they're unwilling to make these minor you know, investments, I hate that word. I hate using economic or capitalist principles within relationships because we do that and we need to not think about it like that. Like things like, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? Um, that's economics. However, we're gonna go there for a minute. It's these small little investments. And if someone's unwilling to or can't find the time, then your priorities are wrong. Work does not come before relationships with the people in your life. People come first. I know a lot of people don't like hearing that, but people come first. Work should come second. Work is how we pay our bills. You know, work to the level of what's expected and what you're paid for, and then put your time and energy into human beings. We've talked about other on the show. Later in life, what people look back regretting on their deathbed is not that they didn't work harder for someone else to make money off their labor at their job. It's that they didn't spend time doing the things that gave them purpose and meaning, the people they loved. So if you're telling me I don't have time in my day to flirt, reach out, romance, send a note, send an email, send a photo, come home early and surprise them or whatever it is, then you are not taking care of yourself psychologically. Your partner has a right to say, I'm not a priority, this might not be right for me. But even scarier is when people have the time and aren't willing to, I want partners to look at that and say, what, what might be lacking in my relationship? You know what I mean? And it's a really good reorganizing perspective. And it's been profound for some clients. I've had to say to some clients, you cannot have both your family and your current job and you gotta choose. And right now you're choosing the job and your family understandably is seeing that and they're not feeling so great about it and they shouldn't. Because moving forward, it's not okay to say things like, sorry, Mr. Soccer Game, Johnny, I had to work. That's unacceptable. Your family comes first and I've had to say that to some clients. Unfortunately, you're gonna have to change your jobs or change the, you know, the expectations because you can't have both. I do believe we can have everything, but it takes a lot of work to have everything and we need to put things in, in a better prior, prior, you know, organization priority-wise. And so that's part of this. Find the time, make the time. These are one of the most important things in your life. Our nervous systems and our mental health are relationally built, created, and sustained. We cannot be physically or mentally healthy if we're not actively participating in healthy relationships. Yes, people can make you feel a certain way. I hate when people say they can't make you feel a certain way. Yes, they can. It's called mirror neurons. It's called social contagion. It's called empathy. We are wired to other people. We are only as healthy as those around us, you know? Also asking questions. That's another favorite zinger that comes in with relationships of all kinds. People are afraid to ask questions. A lot of times in therapy, I'm compelled to say, I don't know, why don't you ask them? You know, that again, we're busting out our you know dating app decoder ring, and we're trying to figure out if they're interested or what they want, and it's like, you should ask them. Hi, 
great talking with you. Not fully clear what it is you're looking for. Can we talk about that? Like imagine if we actually asked the important questions, how much mentally healthy, healthier we'd be, how much more secure we'd feel in the world. But people are afraid of that vulnerability. Even some of the more confident, assertive people, the minute they step into romantic relationships, a fragility emerges, their attachment issues emerge. And they just don't feel secure enough to ask questions, to ask people out. If they ask someone out to actually use the word date, would you like to go on a date? So all parties actually know what's happening. Because if you say, do you want to get coffee? That could mean a thousand things. And they'll say to me, I don't know. Do you think they know that I asked them out on a date? And I'll say to them, I don't know. You need to ask them. <laughs> and, they're, and we're afraid. We're afraid to do that. Ask questions, assert ourselves, be our true selves. But all of that is very, very important. You know, the, the research shows over and over that couples that have lasting, healthy, long-term love have developed shared meaning. Here's a quote. They're weaving their lives together. I love how this languaging to create shared meaning and a kind of sense of a common destiny. You have to create a relationship where you're pursuing each other's dreams and supporting each other's dreams. But that means that we have to talk. We have to emote. We have to be vulnerable. We have to let our partners know who we are, what we hope for. Right? So here's a, here's a prompt. Everyone sit and, and assess this. <clears throat> Do you know what your partner's hopes and dreams are? If not, why? Start asking. If you're afraid to ask, why? Do you know where your partner hopes to be in the next three to five years? Do you know what they're working on? Do you know what they want? Right? Do you have any sense of places that your partner might want to travel or go on vacation when they retire, whatever it might be? Like if you don't have these answers, then you guys are not really sitting deeply with each other. The time you're spending together is maybe focused on operational things or just the children or just economics. What about these deeper questions? We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to glide into those DMs and then we're going to come back and keep talking about some of these important relational aspects. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we are back, and now it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. Thank you, Astroglide. All right, this one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I read this article about how you always look for your parents in your future partner. However, I feel like I want the opposite. I want the opposite of what my parents had. Is that normal? Or maybe am I dealing with some deeper issues than I thought? I never subscribed to that. It's root, a lot of it's rooted in this theory called imago therapy. It's a form of therapy. I don't believe actually that we're looking for our parents. It, I think that's a metaphor. I don't think it's a literal thing. Here's what happens in early environments. Um, we either, well, let me say it differently. Based on our early environment, we either later in life move towards those behaviors or away from. We move towards similar relationships or away from. People that are in abusive relation, uh, abusive early relationships and dynamics with caregivers, later in life, sometimes they reenact that and become abusers themselves. Other people, it's the opposite. They become very sensitive and soft and they are determined to not reenact that and take that forward. Um, so I don't think in those terms, I, I, don't, I don't buy into that or agree with that, that we look for our parents. I think that that's a very old school model. I think it's a very heterocentric model. Um, I think it's far bigger and more complex than that. It's about so many other factors because when we're talking about dating and relationships and sex, it's about our social positions in the world, our race matters, 100% that's in there. Our socioeconomics matter in terms of our confidence and access we have. All these different pieces are in there. Our body esteem, our sexual self-esteem. It's far more complex than just, I'm looking for my dad or my mom. It just doesn't work like that in psychology. There's so many other factors that disrupt and, and kind of shift. So bigger than that is it doesn't really matter. You know, relationshiping is about going on dates with a multitude of people, seeing what it feels like to be with these people. Is there chemistry there? Is there compatibility? That's what matters most. And whether or not some of those factors remind you of a former parent, good. Or if they're bad things, well then call that out and work on that. But like, it's not as simple as that and it doesn't actually even matter. Um, we think now more in terms of attachment theory, which is yes, our early relationships will give us an anxious style, a more secure style and more avoidant style, but that can be shifted and changed based on who we're with. And with one partner, we're more anxious, another we're more avoidant based on who they are and what we co-create. It's far more complex than just that. 
Um, but more so look for compatibility, physical. Do we like the same kinds and same amounts of touch and closeness and intimacy? How are we sexually, then emotional and psychological, right? Do we have a lot to talk about? Do we feel emotionally safe? Is the same level of maturity there? Do we have the same perspectives on how a relationship should look and the boundaries? Social compatibility, do we like to do the same kinds of things in the world? Indoor, outdoor, party, sober, travel, local, like all those things are in there. <clears throat> and then political and ethical, that matters. Um, do you have the same politics and ethics? You know, are they homophobic and racist? Are they consumerist and capitalist? How would that work for you, right? Like, I know I couldn't date anyone who was into consumerism and body shaming and racism and homophobia. Hell no. And I'm not very outdoorsy. I like to go see art and concerts and movies and things like that. I'm more indoorsy. And so, you know, again, all these kind of pieces matter. So think more about that. And if you find someone you like, do what you got to do to maintain that, keep that, and to be a healthy partner for them. And don't worry about whether or not you're looking for your dad or looking for your mom or if they remind you of them. That's so peripheral. You know what I mean? Those are just theories. Those are metaphors. Those aren't real things, right? Those are just entry points, ways to kind of examine ourselves and our storylines. Um, so shake that off. You know what I mean? Um but I like where your I like where your your thoughts at. You're conscious. You're trying to say why am I going after the people I'm going after? What does that mean? So really zero in more on how am I impacting others when I'm brought into someone's life? Am I making it better? And what happens when they're brought into my life? And realizing that we date a lot to have a lot of different experiences to see if there's anyone we want a relationship with. And if it turns out that there is, that's awesome. And if not, we keep moving and we keep looking. But I don't want people to just be thinking in terms of like, am I trying to find a parent? And what does that mean? It doesn't have to mean anything. And it's never that simple. We're reducing down something very complex to trying to make it something simpler. All right, uh, coming up next, we're gonna keep talking about unrealistic expectations on couples. Why? Well, we wanna be conscious and not keep perpetuating the same problematic ideas, concepts, limits, you know what I mean? Uh, so stick around and we'll be back. But if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on Outward Loveline IG page and give us a follow back. Whatever you're wondering about question-wise or topic, we got you covered. You're listening to Loveline, brought to you by Channel Q and Astroglide. Stick around, y'all. We'll be back. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back post gliding into those DMs. Thank you, Astroglide. The DMs are brought to you by Astroglide. We're recording from the Astroglide studios as well. Good stuff. Check them out. High brand. Good stuff. All right. Weekly dates. That's another one. So when we're, we're kind of coming back to our earlier topic of like, so people that are building these long-term, happy, robust relationships, what are the things they're doing and focusing on? And again, this applies to parent, child, friend to friend, colleague to colleague, love partner to love partner. Um, they have weekly, weekly built-in times together. Think about that. One of the things that some of my clients that are loneliest are struggling with is what they call relational maintenance. Some people are really good at making friends, losing friends, but they're really bad at keeping friends or keeping the ball in the air romantically with someone. It's the maintenance phase. And the reason why is it's really easy on the front end. Newness and novelty is very exciting. No one really knows each other. We're not requiring a lot of depth or intimacy, right? We're not in the thick of it. It's new, it's light, it's fun, it's dynamic. But later down, we really have to start to see who are we, who are they, how do they fit into our lives? And we also have to drop down into more vulnerability and start to share who we are. And that's what some people can't really tolerate is that closeness and that intimacy. Every week we wanna be spending time with the people that are meaningful to us. And again, this comes back to like really assessing if we have a true work-life balance. Don't construct a world that doesn't afford you the space to have weekly time with friends and or family members and or someone you're in a relationship with or dating. It's maintenance. You have to be willing to do that. There's a, there's, we're a little too comfortable, I believe now, with friendships that are more just check-ins, where we think if we send a text message saying, thinking about you, let's hang soon, that we somehow did then hang. You know what I mean? Like that, that counted. You know, oh, how are your friends doing? Great, keeping up with them closely. I texted them the other day. It's like, wait, what? We, I wanna make sure we're actually spending real face-to-face -face time with individuals, that counts. Now, yes, some of us are busy, complicated lives, things happening. I'm glad we have technology. Yes, please do text people. I know you think of thinking of them. That's very meaningful. Let's people know you're there, but I don't want that to be the, um, the final, the final point. It has to be bigger than that. Right. And I know that that's hard after the pandemic. People like myself are really pushing back on a lot of socialization and public spaces around a lot of people. I'm not interested in that. I'm being very thoughtful about that. 
Um, we're still in a pandemic, people still dying. Uh, but I want us to not normalize this very distal, buffered, <laughs> detached ways of relating. You know, there's that joke that with millennials and the youngins that who calls that if you call someone, they're like, Oh my God, you called what's going on. What's wrong. That no one just calls anymore. That that implies that there's a weight, right. Or something dire because we're just familiar with quick texts. And again, texting isn't all bad, but texting should be for gentle, light communications. I tell all the couples I work with don't have serious conversations or conflict over text message. That's a bad mode to get into. We're not looking at another human being. So it's really easy to say some really hurtful things that we can't take back because we're not looking at them that we would never say to their face and you can't hear tone or context. And so we want to be getting on the phone, FaceTime or phone calling or seeing them in real time to have really meaningful, difficult, powerful conversations. But we're getting a little too comfortable hammering through some really important topics, firing off text messages and emojis. Let's not do that. And then finally, um, and this is more relational marital. We've talked about this a little bit on the show, but I think it's a great reminder. Um, checking in on relationships. Yes, I think it's okay to do that even with friends. Hey, you know, you're really important to me. You've been an important friend of mine for a while. How are we doing? You know what I mean? How do you think I'm showing up as a friend? Have I been letting you down? Or at least asking yourself that. Am I showing up for my friends? I think we somehow have too low of expectations on friendships. But then on the other hand, I think sometimes it's really beautiful how much fluidity and freedom and openness we also afford friends. And our romantic, erotic partners would maybe benefit from us letting go a little bit, not thinking so capitalistically and consumeristly around what's mine and what do I own? Because we really do problematically apply that. And that's when we get into what we call toxic forms of monogamy, toxic monogamy, where we think we own people and then we can control them if we're with them. And it's like, mm, that's not your pet. You can control your dog and determine what furniture he's on and when he goes to the bathroom and what he eats and literally limit his development and actualization around your comfort. That apparently works well with pets, but we don't want to do that to human beings. They're not a dog or a cat. They have to be having agency and autonomy and be able to make decisions for themselves that often disappoint us. Our pets aren't allowed to disappoint us. They have to follow rules, but human beings have to be allowed to let us down, disappoint us, have boundaries, have autonomy. That's an important bare minimum aspect of mental health and functioning. So we got to get better about that. Um, anywho, uh, that's that. So uh, we're going to take a break in a minute, but uh, we'll be back. And then later in the show, we'll be gliding into those DMs, courtesy of Astroglide. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Any questions you got for us, we're here for you. Any topic you want me to cover, let us know. Or something you want me to go back over, or dig deeper into, let us know. And uh, past episodes of Loveline. As always, they're over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it, and there they all are. You can boast. Uh, boast? Well, you can boast. Thank you. You can post, binge, share, and follow us back on our IG. Always dropping some good stuff. And I'm supposed to be talking more about this. My books, Rebel Love and Sex Outside the Lines. Check them out. Really easy, beautiful cash course, crash course in uh, working on our gender, sexuality, relationality, our psychology, just really working on liberating ourselves. Unlearning, as they say. We have a lot of unlearning to do. It's probably one of the number one things I do with therapy with people is help them unlearn, you know, develop better narratives, more empowering ones. Anyway, taking a break. We'll see you back in a minute. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. Alrighty, we're back and we're talking about unrealistic sex expectations. They abound. There are tons of them. We buy into them. Why is that? We have horrible sex education. And a lot of us turn to pornography for education. It is not. It is meant for arousal and entertainment. It's a cultural artifact. It is art. Porn, like all other forms of filmmaking and art, really let us know where we are culturally, what we're afraid of, what we're turned on by, what our boundaries are. That's why I love art. It really helps us understand that current place in time, what we do, what we don't do, what we show, what we don't show. And the lines are blurred. There's films that show sex and nudity. And why is a film that only shows sex and nudity more problematized than a film that only sporadically shows sex or nudity? Why can you be topless in the new HBO series, but you can't be topless on your OnlyFans charging money yourself? Like this is the disconnect right? We can see Julia Roberts or Halle Berry topless, and that's just a career move, and it makes sense for $20 million, but it's not okay to do it on OnlyFans for $5.99 a month or $9.99, right? Like, that's ridiculous, and that's crap. 
Um, we should not be looking at pornography though as sex education. Why? Well, because it's not realistic. It's a film. They choose certain people. They show certain scenes. They edit. They use medications. They use false orgasm shots. I I'm trying to watch my languaging and trying to find ways to still indicate what I'm trying to say. It's difficult, you know? <laughs> we have FCC rules, God bless. Uh, and we're so sex phobic and sexually anxious that, you know, that's why they even exist. We shouldn't have to even have them. Nonetheless, what are some expectations that are not great that uh, sexual film gives us? Let's see. Number one, I love this one. Always totally clean. No mess ever. Sex is messy. Good sex is messy. Good, hot, honest sex is messy. Why? We're sweating. Maybe we're drooling. We have body fluids. We're not rushing around cleaning things up. We're just being in the moment. Let sex be messy. Good, hot, honest sex is messy. It's also loud, it's also sloppy. We're in the moment, we're focusing on pleasure. We're not worrying about how do I look? How do I sound, right? We're just in our bodies, we're in the pleasure, we're in the moment. Also, the other unrealistic expectations is that there's no interruptions. Well, that's not how life works. Things will happen. You trip, you fall, you slide, the doorbell rings, your phone rings. You hear a strange sound outside, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's life. On a porn set, Everyone's shushed. They have people running around silencing things. They have the ideal setups. You know what I mean? There's a support staff handing you whatever you might need, wiping things up. Real world does not work like that. Um, also, orgasms are perfectly coordinated in a lot of porn. In the real world, it doesn't happen. We're not going to be that synchronized. But here's the gift. We don't need to be. We don't need to be. One person might be the only one that orgasms, or maybe we both do, but one person and then the other. Yes, guys, cis hetero men, please do know that your partner gets to orgasm too, because you all tend to be the ones that think it's just about you know your penis. Um, but we're not always gonna be perfectly coordinated. It's gonna take some time, right? Also, sex as smooth and perfect every single time, kind of talked about that, there's gonna be flaws. Um, also remember that the bodies they choose are like sexual gladiators and athletes. They choose people that look and function a certain way. People that are just able to get aroused and stay aroused through essentially a hurricane, you know, but a lot of them are using pills and injections. That's part of being that kind of performer, right? Athletes do all sorts of things as well to be able to participate in the ways that they need to. Same thing with other kinds of actors and actresses. Um, but we can't be watching porn that doesn't mimic the kind of body we have or the kind of bodies we have sex with. That sets up a false standard. Please watch feminist body positive porn that shows full body engagement. It's not just about the orgasm. Both partners are focused on. There's a diverse set of bodies that are more honest and realistic to what you have or what you encounter. That's how our sexual self-esteem is built, right? By watching sexual films and porn that reflects back us and the kind of people we have sex with. That's important right? People often don't do that. And they keep building into their psyche that they need to look or operate a certain way. Also, porn doesn't have aftercare. They orgasm and then they like high five and it's all done. But in real world, you're with a human being. It's okay to lay there longer. It's okay to talk more. It's okay to go for dinner. It's okay to cuddle. But we're very bad with these transitions. It's done. And then it's like, here's a towel, get out. You know what I mean? But like, it's okay to have aftercare. It's okay to check in. It's okay to connect afterwards. That doesn't mean I want you to stay over, marry me, or be my girlfriend or boyfriend, but there's, oh, it's okay to have an element of care. Also, some sexual disappointments where someone's not functioning the way they want, and they might say, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to top. And I'm talking about that from any penis owner's position, where your penis will disappoint you and let you down. Not all straight men are even tops. And it's okay to say, like, I'm not going to be able to be engaging in penetrative sex. Or for someone who's a vagina owner or a female to say, I'm not necessarily going to be open for penetrative sex. I'm not in the right mood. My body doesn't feel comfortable with that. Um, I'm not lubricating in the ways I want. But hey, we got Astroglide, so you can grab for that lube. But nonetheless, more fluidity, disappointments, letdown, changing things up. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what a lot of couples struggle with is they, they, they consciously will say, I know that the sex I see in porn isn't real, but then they still have those expectations upon themselves and other, you know what I mean? We don't show the failures. We don't show the struggles. We don't show the difficulties. We don't show how they go about even choosing who they're working with and that it's planned out. It's mapped out. There's literally a director telling them what to do next and they both just go along with it. There's no body positivity. They're not checking in with themselves. You know what I mean? So it's important to talk about these things. It's important also be body positive and sex positive, which means being honest with who you are and what you need in the moment. It's okay to say to your partner, I know that you're interested in A, B, and C. That's not what I'm feeling right now. I know I told you you could come over and we do C, D, E, and F. I don't feel that way anymore. You know what I mean? It's okay to tell people I'm not comfortable with that. That hurts. 
we have to get better with humanity is what it really comes down to. The way we date and have sex and even like parent and educate is like so dehumanized sometimes. Humanity is very diversified. It's very creative. There's a lot of failures. But we use words like erectile dysfunction when there's no dysfunction, when your penis is just being as variable as it always is and it's not always doing what we want it to do. But that's not, that's not failure. That's not bad. Um, all right, we're going to take a little break and we'll be back. Um, but if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and give us a follow. And uh, over at wearechannelq.com is where our shows are uh, posted and podcasted. So check it out. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. And uh, yeah, stick around. We'll be back. All right, y'all. We're back. And I thought let's close out the week uh, before we do some... DMs with some uh, mental health tips for you to take with you into the weekend, right? The weekend. Now, I know it's not the weekend for everyone. Some people's days are a little bit different, but let's talk about it. First, uh, mental health days, you know, looking out for your mental health. It, it shouldn't be crisis control or damage control, right? It's something we want to build in on the front end so as to maybe not get there. We talked in a couple a couple shows back about this idea of identifying when we're moving towards burnout. And, and not having to get there before we take some action, take action before so as to not get there. It's kind of like I realized with some of my heart health issues and high blood pressure that I didn't want to wait until it was dire. I had to change and make lifestyle. I had to make lifestyle and dietary changes now so as to not let it get any worse, right? I was kind of getting it on the back end a little bit, like I should have caught it sooner. But mental health days are, should be like a regular tune-up, kind of like going to the dentist every six months, taking your car in. You don't wait until you know the car has no brakes, the air conditioner conked out to then step in and do something. You try to kind of keep that general maintenance going, right? If we go to the dentist every six months for a cleaning for those that can afford and have access to that, then we don't have to necessarily worry about cavities, right? Or if we're brushing and flossing, it's maintenance. You don't brush and floss when you have cavities. You do it every day so to not have any. So in, in the ideal world, mental health days would be something you automatically work into your schedule. And that's why I'm constantly telling you all to do it every day. Some form of rest, joy and pleasure of some kind, right? And self-care, which is setting boundaries, saying no, carving out time and space, right? So we're not pushing through. We're, we're trying to deal with this ahead of time. Because our, you know, our culture prioritizes burning out, uh, overproducing, working till, you know, we have so much, someone's a hard work and we think that's great. And I'm like, sorry to hear that. I wish you were a hard rester or someone who really focused on joy and pleasure. That to me is profound because of the way the culture's set up, right? We should be working less, doing less. So we're not trying to get to burnout. You know, we don't want to allow that struggle to happen. And that's why we have to be scheduling it ahead of time. That's why I try to do these mental health or self-care check-ins on the show to remind yourself, schedule it. What can you do today? What can you do this weekend? Don't just float through looking back, realizing I wound up just staying busy and I went, 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 and then slid right into the work week. Like, no, you need to have some downtime. So schedule it. Say something, okay, next Friday, I'm going to take the day off for mental health and I'm going to plan something or I'm going to plan nothing, right? It's okay. Do that. Do that, do that, do that. Build it in and make sure it happens because it's trying to have a positive impact. We're not necessarily trying to just mitigate negative things, right? Um, turn your phone off. Our phones are such a great source of intrusion and overstimulation. You know, we don't want to always be accessible. We want as much downtime and time away from screens as possible. Go for a walk. Turn your phone off, stick it in a drawer, and read for a while. Nap. Watch a movie. Go see a friend. Or pull your phone out just to get on FaceTime with someone. You know, but honor the, the, the need to do nothing and honor the success of doing nothing. We don't use words like lazy anymore. No one's lazy. You're allowed to not want to work. It's okay to not enjoy or want to work. It's okay to not want constant productivity. It's okay to say, I want more nothingness. I want more rest, right? We have to start to valorize that. Social connections are a pillar of this for those that are social. Some people are asocial. That's okay. Not everything has to include others or be about a multitude of others. I still work with a lot of people that have the fear of missing out and they're constantly seeing people posting pictures of them with their squad and doing all these things with friends. It's not what everyone's doing, but that doesn't mean you need to be doing that even if they were, right? It's okay to have a little bit of a solo journey. I often go do things on my own as well. Once I socialize, I often need many, many hours to decompress from having done that, you know? Um, getting out into nature, I think, is going to be one of the most profound things. I always try to reference that. Having your bare feet touch the earth in some form or just being out in the sun, the fresh air, right? Especially we were talking about that a lot during pandemic. But get out into nature. 
Research has shown over and over and over and over and over that the more time you spend in nature, there's a strong tie to reducing anxiety and stress and depression in most people, right? Just go sit in the park, go for a walk anywhere, go sit on your lawn or the grass, you know, find some space. Also doing something creative. I've been really trying to return to an art practice and that's been really profound for me because art reminds us of who we really are and art also helps us tap into other resources and tools and access points because it's more unconsciously driven, right? And it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be sellable. We're not trying to bring capitalism into it. We don't need to make our art consumable. It can sometimes just be for us. It can be ugly. There's no wrong way to do art, right? We're not trying to necessarily put our stuff in galleries. That changes your relationship to it as well, right? And then finally, remembering that mental health aren't all or nothing, right? Mental health days are important, but they're not gonna necessarily work miracles. And that's why we have to build them in consistently. Loading up on all that doesn't necessarily promise that everything's gonna feel smooth afterwards, but the more we do it, the more we have access to it, and the more we build it in to kind of like a normative just part of how we move through the world, right? Every weekend I've been trying to do nature and trying to do art and trying to do something social. And for me, that's been the like really important, powerful trifecta, you know, those three things. Um, so anyway, that's your reminder. Build that into this weekend, build that into next week. And that's us working on that, that resilience that we need. You know, so do it. You're worth it. All right, y'all. We're going to be back. And uh, when we come back, we'll be gliding into those DMs. Thank you, Astro Glide. And uh, yeah, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We'll be back. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. All right, y'all, we're back, and now it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I haven't had a sexual partner in years. I went through a breakup, and to be honest, I just don't know how to make the first move. It's hard for me because I feel like I don't want to come off pushy. I just maybe don't know how to read signs of other people, so I just back off. And then I feel like no one actively pursues me. So here I am, three years later, with no sex. How can I get better at reading people or expressing to people what I need? I love this question. And if this was old school, the name of your, you know, everyone had like a title, you'd be called um, three years later and no sex. That would be like the heading. So I kind of like your self-awareness. I mean, you sound like you have a sense of like who you are and what the work is. And that's really important. You know, I would say this to clients in my practice or friends, always know what your work is. And if you don't know what your work is and you're not working on it, if you don't know what you're supposed to be working on, then you're not working on anything, right? And people will say that, oh, I'm really working on myself. Great, what is it you're working on? Stuff, and I'm like, oh man. <laughs> can you share more so I know that you actively are addressing something, tracking something, trying to improve and work on something? Um, so here we go. Breakups are hard. 
and the work as relational beings is not to take whatever happened in the most recent relationship into future ones. That was you and them. And your next partners will all be completely different. We co-create new and different things with each new partner because we're encountering someone who's completely different with different needs and ideas and interests. So remember that you should be a little different in each relationship because it's going to require and bring forward a different part of you. So how it had been has nothing to do with necessarily how it will be. Although we do want to be aware of what parts of ourselves we keep bringing forward and need to kind of let go or improve. Um, but you do have to learn how to make the first move. I think that that's important. I'm telling everyone, you have to be assertive. I don't care if you're a boy or a girl or non-binary. I don't care what your gender is, femme or butch. Everyone has to go after what they want. We are no longer doing these old school sexist dating rules of like the man or the butch person or the masculine person has to pay for dinner and make all, you know, make all the plans and ask people out, like grow up. <laughs> That's how you also stay stuck. And if we date someone with old school traditional values, we can't complain when they have old school traditional values, which are usually fall under a lot of things that are sexist and misogynist and quite problematic. So it's time for us to like shed all that. But yes, I don't want you to be pushy, but my sense is if you're aware of the possibility of pushiness, then you won't be. Be soft, be sensitive. Remember, you ask someone out once. We don't pursue or court people unless they want to be because we don't want to get, you know, it's consent culture. If we ask someone out and they say, no, we're done. And I see this happen at cafes all the time where not now, I'm not at them anymore really, but when I get back to them and historically, I would see people really making others uncomfortable. Smile once. And if someone looks away, looks down or is uncomfortable, you move on. Go talk to them and say hi once. Like you have to read people's body language. So... Are you being pushy? Well, yes. If you show a sign of interest, they don't, and you don't walk away. Well, then yes, you're being pushy. Just you say one thing, you make one glance, you make one request, you ask their number one time or whatever it is, but, and that falls on the other person. If you are interested in someone who's hitting on you, please be open, be responsive, let them know you are interested. You can play coy, but you're gonna miss out because these days most people are paying attention to, cons to consent culture and they're not chasing or following, you know what I mean? So just track yourself, be very sensitive. Um, anyone who breaks contact, looks down, looks away, walks away, moves away, all those are signs of a lack of interest. A sign of interest is someone smiling, leaning in, continuing the conversation, looking comfortable, you know what I mean? It's, you know, general stuff. So just practice, but read people's body language. Yeah, if someone breaks co eye contact or the conversation, move on. But that's why I think dating apps are great for someone like you. Um, you match with someone, you send them a hello, and if they don't respond, you move on. And if they do, they are interested and you keep the ball in the air. And then at some point you ask them if they want to exchange numbers and you get on the phone or FaceTime and you have essentially a little bit of a first date that way. And then if they're interested, you ask them out and you go on a date. That's why I like that. You can't overly push on that, right? If someone doesn't want to talk anymore, they won't respond on the app. Once you've exchanged numbers, if they don't want to talk anymore, they won't keep responding or they won't say yes to a date. So practice on dating apps gives us a lot of, uh, a lot of room for that. All right, y'all, that is our show. Y'all have a great weekend rooted in self-care. Tons of joy and pleasure and as much rest as possible. Put those phones down. Put them on silence. Stick them in a drawer. Just be present with yourself and with your friends and your family and in your lives. And rest, rest, rest. Uh, you guys have a good weekend, though. Take care of yourselves. As always, thanks for hanging out. And you all enjoy the rest of your night. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.